We're going to turn to 2 Samuel um, chapter 7. It's a really, um, it's an important, uh, it's an important chapter uh, in, in the history of the Old, Old Testament um, covenants. And it's one you might not know about. So maybe you need to make a little note in your Bible. And I'll read it to you. Uh, I'll explain the context to you in, in a little while. But after the king, this is King David, was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan, the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. And Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. <coughs> but that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with, with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning. And I've done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. And I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And Nathan, Nathan reported to David, all the words of this entire revelation. Here it is. This is a great prayer, I think, for us when we come to God's word. You could use it for yourself when you when you come to the Bible. Um, it's from Psalm 119, verse 33. And we can pray it. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts in your righteousness. Preserve my life. Father God, we do pray that you be good to us, your servants, while you live, as it says in the Psalms, open, your, open our eyes that we may see 
wonderful things in your law. And even as we're hearing your word preached, we ask you, Lord, that you um, give us understanding, um, give us the ability to keep it, direct us in the path of it, help us delight in it, Lord, to use it to turn our eyes away from worthless, worthless things to the things that are really of worth and turn our eyes to you and to knowing you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last time we, we left the Israelites at, at Mount Sinai. They'd entered into a, a, a new covenant, a new phase of the covenant um, uh, by faith. Faith in the blood of the Lamb. So they were told to put the, the blood on the doorposts of their lives, and they did, uh, and they were not destroyed. They were told to go and walk through the sea, and they did, and they exercised faith. They took God at his word, um, and they've entered the covenant. And now they have the rules for, for blessing, the rules for staying in that covenant, which, of course, um, were uh, centered on the Ten Commandments. And so last time, the, the key thought was that we saw two kinds of obedience um, both uh, were acts of faith, uh, and faith simply means taking God at his word and, and, and doing what it says. But there are two kinds of faith, and it's true of the Christian life. There's saving faith, um, faith um, for a, a decisive moment, um, for entering um, into a, a covenant with God. And then there's a living or an everyday um, faith for, for walking with the Lord in, in the place of blessing. And I wonder whether even in the Christian life that the one is easier um, than the other. I wonder whether um, saving faith uh, is easier. Um, and maybe you looked at your life. I don't know how you became a Christian, but, but there was a moment um, when the options were clear uh, and it seemed a matter of life and death. It certainly seemed that, that way to me when I became a Christian. It was like somebody uh, throwing me a life belt. It was a, a matter of life or death. Here was a way out of a life that was entirely meaningless and might have led to literally to me taking it um, to a life that was potentially meaningful to a God who was really there to a forgiveness from sins, which were which I knew were actual uh, and, and caused his displeasure. It, it seemed to me um, like a matter of life or death. It still took me some weeks, possibly some months to get to grip with it. But then there's a decisive moment when you become a Christian and you say, yes, I trust what Christ has done on, on, on the cross. And I wonder whether that's, that's easier because it's faith in a moment. It's like uh, standing on top of the burning building and, and the Lord holding a blanket at the bottom and saying, jump. And you jump. It, it's a massive deal. It's a big deal. And you jump. But, but it's just a moment. Whereas there is a kind of everyday faith, which is taking God at his word, that your behavior today, those, those little things you, you do, the way you speak, the time you do or you don't spend with him, matter. There's still life and death, but, oh, it doesn't look like it. It just looks like a, a, a trivial thing. I, I said the wrong thing or I didn't say anything at all in those circumstances, whatever it might be. So two kinds of obedience, but, they're, but either way, they're, they're always by faith. 
Entering the Lord's covenant is always by faith. Living in the Lord's covenant um, is always by faith. And, and Hebrews 11 makes this connection clear. Hebrews 11 takes the hearers of the faith and it includes in that quite a lot of these covenant circumstances that we were called about. Uh, and it makes it explicit. It says faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. That's what the ancients were commended for, it says. And then it gives you a great list. Uh, and I'll just give you the, the, the highlights. By faith, Abel bought a better offering um, than Cain did. By faith, Noah in holy fear uh, built an ark. By faith, Abraham, uh, when called to go, obeyed and went. By faith, Abraham, we didn't look at this, offered Isaac um, as a sacrifice. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob, Jacob and Esau. We're now moving into uh, things we haven't looked at, some of this uh, in-between time. Um, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, um, spoke about the exodus. It's always by faith. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. By faith, Moses, Hebrews 11 says, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God. By faith, Moses left Egypt. By faith, um, Moses kept the Passover. By faith, the people passed through the, the Red Sea. Um, by faith, um, the walls of Jericho fell. And by faith, the prostitute Rahab was not killed along with the rest of the inhabitants of, uh, of Jericho. It's just always it's worth reminding ourselves at this stage that God's our relationship with God is always by grace, through faith uh, in the Old Testament as much as it is in the New Testament. And they are examples uh, for us uh, of faith exercised. And they've started to take us uh, along from the story where we left it last time at Mount Sinai. Um, and they've taken us um, to Jericho um, in the book of Joshua and uh, the story of, of Rahab. Again, as you might have guessed, um, we could ask what happened next? What happened next? The covenant broke down. The covenant broke down. And you can read this uh, in the book of Judges. It's one of the most brutal books um, in the Bible. Um, and it describes a, a state of disarray uh, for the nation of Israel um, after they've uh, entered the promised land. So Judges 2, and this is, uh, I've got you some quotes here. After, jo after Joshua dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each their own inheritance. People served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and had seen all the, all the things the Lord had done for Israel. But after that whole generation being gathered to their ancestors, uh, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor, nor what he'd done for, for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord uh, and they served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors. In which they gave up on God and they decided to worship another God after all that had happened. And in his anger against him, we're still in Judges 2, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who, who plundered them. Every time they, they angered him, the, the Lord withdrew. It was a sign of his displeasure, so they would know that he was angry. And then they, they, they lost the power to win the military victory. So when Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them. Judge, uh, judges says. And then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands uh, of these raiders. So God repeatedly um, had mercies, mercy on them. He, he raised up a superhero, uh, the Samsons and, and the Gideons uh, of this world, 
who saved them out of the hands of, of, the, um, of these raiders. And whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, um, they were saved out of the hands of the enemies as long as the judge lived. But when the judge, the hero, died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. So judges, the whole book is, is a story of, of, of covenant breakdown. Um, God repeatedly sends uh, a hero to come and save them and, and Israel for a moment in time. Uh, they, they turn back to him. But when the judge dies, um, they go back um, and actually fall worse and worse. It's a long um, slide into depravity. And Judges finishes like this. It says, um, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did uh, as they saw fit. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they, as they saw fit. There's a kind of king-shaped hole in Israel, and the people are just doing um, whatever they please. They completely lost track of God. And so God re-establishes his covenant with the people. There's a little bit of history we need to fill in. Um, the Lord renewed his word to his people through Samuel. Um, the Lord provided a king, um, Saul, but rejected him for his disobedience. And then the Lord provided another king after his own heart, um, David. And finally, we kind of pick up uh, today's reading. When David has defeated his enemies and settled in Jerusalem, his mind turns to providing a permanent home for the Ark of the Covenant. If you, if you know the story, it's been, it's been in the, the tent, uh, been in the tabernacle um, all this time. And David suddenly has this moment where he's kind of embarrassed and he thinks, well, gosh, I've built myself a palace. But, but the Lord, and, and he's right, the Lord literally uh, dwells in the tabernacle. That is the place of the Lord's special presence among them. And he says that we, we haven't built a permanent home for the Lord. Um, and, and he suggests it to Nathan the prophet. Um, and I love this comment from Nathan because Nathan says, oh, well, um, if it seems good to you. And I wonder whether actually um, it's a bit of a slip up on, on Nathan's part. He's, he's, here he is before um, King David, who's been blessed left, right and centre by the Lord. And David says, uh, I think we ought to build a, a, a temple, a, a home um, for the ark. And David says, oh, and Nathan says, if it seems good to you, but, but actually that night as he sleeps, because he is a prophet. Uh, he does have a gift. There is a blessing upon him. And the Lord comes uh, uh, and speaks to him. And at the heart of what the Lord says to David through Nathan is this. If you've got your Bible open, uh, it's 2 Samuel 7, verse 11. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will build a house for you. So David's been thinking about building a house for the Lord. And the first thing the Lord says to David is, I will build a house for you. And actually, it's the same word, but he means a different thing. It's very clear that he means a different thing. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring um, to succeed you and I will establish his kingdom. The Lord says, I will build a house, a dynasty, a royal line for you and from you. It's not quite what David was expecting. The Lord goes on to say that this uh, one that I, uh, this offspring of yours and that I establish, he is the one who will build a house for my name. He is the one who will build a temple for me. So uh, 
at this point in time, uh, the Lord is talking about Solomon. He is the one um, who will, uh, of David's sons, who will sit on the throne um, and he will build the, the temple for the Lord. But then remarkably, the Lord goes on, uh, verse 14, and says of Solomon, I will be his father and he shall be my son. And he says to David, your house and your kingdom uh, will last forever. It will be an everlasting um, dynasty. Now, does that sound does that sound familiar to you? Somebody, one of David's offspring will be will build a house, a temple. One of David's offspring, who is his father, uh, sorry, who is who is God's son and of whom God is his father. One of David's offspring who brings a kingdom that will last forever. So, of course, it starts with Solomon. But it meets its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That brings us to an important point, which is that all the covenants are leading to the new covenant. They are all foreshadowing the new covenant in Christ. They've all been drawing pictures uh, of, of Jesus, drawing pictures of Jesus um, in history, as it were. So Jesus is the serpent crusher um, from Genesis 3. We promise a serpent crusher that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the better sacrifice, even the noble sacrifice, which is which is better than Cain. Jesus is God piercing himself um, with his own bow. Jesus is God shooting himself so that the covenant that we break doesn't get broken. Jesus is the descendant of Abraham through whom the whole world is blessed. He is literally uh, the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus is the cut up animals that God walked through uh, as a as a fire and, and smoke. Jesus is uh, God's threat against himself that, that he will be punished if this covenant breaks. Jesus is the ram killed to rescue Abraham's son, Isaac. And Jesus is the other prophet like Moses. God promises that there will be another prophet just like Moses. Jesus is that other prophet just like Moses. Jesus is the, the great high priest. The one who can go into God's very presence. Jesus is the lamb who turns aside God's anger that would otherwise fall on us if the blood wasn't painted on our doorposts and on our lintels. And Jesus then is the son of David who establishes uh, his throne forever. Jesus is literally the son of God. Jesus is our temple, the place in which we come to worship God. Find that particularly in John 2, it's in the Bible study if you want to check that out. Jesus is our temple. So what then of this covenant obedience, this obedience to enter, this obedience to stay? What is the obedience to, to enter the covenant? 
Well, God's people in the new covenant are those people who make Jesus king. So the obedience to enter is is to come to Christ and say, you are my king. And at the same time, say, I have no right to be here as your child or your subject, but only because you died for me on the cross. Because today, what you did on the cross, I apply to me. The blood that was shed there, I apply to uh, to my failings, my shortcomings, my rebellion, my sin. So that's the obedience to enter the covenant, is to accept the sacrifice that Christ has been made upon the cross and to make him your king. What is God's place for people in the new covenant? God's place now is in Christ. That is our God's place for us. For the moment, it is to be found in Christ. Ultimately, God is going to prepare for us a whole new world, a new creation that functions perfectly, uh, where sin and all the influences and effects and outworkings of sin uh, have been removed. That's God's place for us. The meek shall inherit the earth, um, a new earth and a new uh, heaven. And what is the obedience to stay in the covenant? Well, God's rule uh, is... Uh, Jesus' greatest commandment. Jesus' greatest commandment is, is a summing up of, of the Ten Commandments. Uh, ten Commandments, they still function, uh, but a Pharisee comes to Jesus and tests him, says, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the first one. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets, Jesus says, hang on these two commandments covenant obedience is actually the same um, as the law and the prophets but it's summarized in, in two commands love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and the second love your neighbor as yourself and it's challenging isn't it is that you so love god with everything you've got with everything you've got all your heart all the other things that come above him with all your soul with all your mind is your mind focused on god or is essentially your mind focused on something else and love your neighbor as yourself is so challenging isn't it jesus sets the bar so high what are we doing for our neighbors treat them like ourselves very rarely i would suggest how then do we worship at this temple? Well, Jesus has told us really how we worship at this temple. Um, we, we love the uh, Lord with all our heart and we love our neighbour as ourselves. That's how we worship at the temple that is Christ. But I was intrigued just to, uh, to go back to 1 Peter 2, uh, which was the passage that, that I read. Um, that as we come to him, our living stones, we are being built into a spiritual house. So uh, as we... Uh, as we come together how we worship at this temple we, we come to christ that's the first thing we come together and we need to be built together um, peter says uh, you rejected it. you also like living stones are being built um, into a spiritual house so we come to christ we come together 
But Peter goes on, and I think actually the rest of 1 Peter, or at least the next uh, chapter and a half, and answers to this question, how do I worship at this, at this temple, um, at this temple that is Christ, but this temple is now me and my brothers and sisters in Christ? How do we worship um, as this temple? Well, obviously, we, we, we have to come together. Um, that is part of our worship. We need to be built together. We need to function together as a people. Um, then Peter says we're to, to live such good lives um, among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Are you living a life in Christ that is good enough that the people down your street comment on it? That. That would be Peter's measure. That would be Peter's measure. I can't say in my own life that I could use that standard and say, yes, I doubt you could too. Live such good lives that though they want to accuse you of doing wrong because they're, they're Christians, they're non-Christians rather than they see you as Christians and you're, you're a bad aroma to them. And you see all, all through the media at the moment, Chris, the media just instinctively wants to accuse Christians. Um, we have to live lives that would bring praise out from them. So we're going to have to think uh, as we go through the year, how do, we, how do we impact our community in a way that undermines that desire from them um, to slag us off and to pull us down? Strangely, Peter says, submit to human authorities. He says, live biblical marriages. says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives. It's a biblical pattern of marriage. He says, live it. But we've been there before. I'm not going to come back to it. Um, and then uh, finally in, in this section, he says, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. I think he sort of draws it together where he started. Um, Christ is our temple. He's the place we go. Um, and he's the high priest over that temple. He's the sacrifice in that temple. As we come to Christ, we come literally to the very throne of God. It's as if we come um, to the Ark of the Covenant. But he says, together, um, you're being built into a temple. Now go and live lives that, that bring draw out praise. Um, and if you're going to do that, you're going to need to be like-minded, sympathetic, loving one another, compassionate and humble. And then at the very end, he says, Get your tongue in order and all your prayers will be answered. I can't, let me find that. Um, can't find it. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one speaking the very words of God. I've lost that reference, but you can go and read 1 Peter for yourself. And it's interesting we've been here before, haven't we? Um, he says, interestingly, he finishes by coming back to the, the tongue and saying, if you get your tongue in order, um, then your prayers will be answered. If our tongues are in, are in order, then we're, then we're uh, as James says, the rest of us in order. We're righteous people and God answers the prayers of, of practically righteous people. So as Christians, we... We worship at a, a different kind of temple. Temple in a sense that moves with us wherever we go. A temple that's, uh, that is, the tent is erected wherever, wherever and whenever we meet. So yes, Christ is our temple. Yes, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Um, but whenever uh, we come together, 
It's as if the tabernacle is, is erected and we come to the very throne of grace. And so the writer of Hebrews says this, you, you've not come to a mountain that can be touched and that's burning with fire to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. The sight was so terrifying that Moses says, I'm trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. When we meet together, um, the angels join in, literally. You come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. And when we come together, we come together as the people whose names are written before the Lord. You've come to God. You come before God, the judge of all, to the spirits of, of righteous men made perfect. Um, when we come together, it's as if all the saints who've gone before us have been made perfect in Christ, look down and, and worship along with us. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. When we come together, um, we don't need to sprinkle any blood because the blood of Jesus uh, has already been sprinkled. So see to it that you don't refuse him who speaks. If they didn't escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we? If we turn away from him who warns from heaven. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence of all, for our God is a consuming fire. Let me pray. And then we're going to sing in response to that. Father God, we thank you that Jesus is our king. Thank you that Jesus is our high priest. Thank you that Jesus is our temple. Thank you that when we come together, it's as if the tabernacle's been re-erected uh, and you are there, along with your angels, along with all the saints in glory. And when we worship, when we sing, we sing together with them. Thank you that we can come into your very presence. Please uh, enliven our hearts so that when we come, we have day by day that sense that uh, that you are a holy God, a holy God who has drawn us into your presence. Lord, so that we may take you seriously, but also that we may be filled with joy. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.